I almost forgot how to. I almost forgot how to talk. It's been so long. I mean, because when I'm not on air, I don't talk. It's just. I mean, why give it away for free, right? Happy New Year, Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Hope you had a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas and uh, uh, good New Year's Eve as well. And um, I did as well. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. So I'm following, uh, just kind of watching, and look, I don't know all of the background politics on all of the machinations going on on Capitol Hill, uh, but clown show? Yeah, kind of. Um, so I'm watching that on C-SPAN. We've got that pulled up, and in case they get to the Speaker of the House vote, uh, we'll we'll try to jip it to join in progress. Um, I just saw Dan Bishop sent out a tweet. Uh, He says, I came to a broken and dysfunctional Congress to change it. Advancing the longstanding pecking order one notch has no prospect of doing that. Many don't want to change it. I will. Kevin McCarthy is not the right candidate to be speaker. He has perpetuated the Washington status quo that makes the body one of the most unsuccessful and unpopular institutions in the country. This is not about personality differences or who has earned the position, it's about serving the American people. I will not be supporting the status quo. So that's Dan Bishop going in with the, I guess, the the never Kevins, right? Um, I don't, like I said, I don't know what their machinations are. I don't know what, the, what their candidate in waiting, I don't know who that might be. Are they playing some sort of seven-dimensional chess, a la Donald Trump always plays? Oh, I'm not ki- I'm just kidding. He's like 62 levels of chess. Um, but then you got this, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's ripping Matt Gates, Scott Perry, saying she's furious. She says that a group of them demanded prime committee spots with the Speaker of the House. She says, I'm the only Republican who has zero committees. I find out it's my Freedom Caucus colleagues who went and did that. She goes after Gates for supporting Paul Ryan. She went after Perry for reversing course on gay marriage vote. And she says Good and Bobert all took McCarthy money to get elected. And Kevin McCarthy says that Matt Gates told him. I know I feel like I'm like doing a recap of some like high school. <laughs> click fight. Um, but Matt Gates said, I'm totally fine with having Hakeem Jeffries be the, the speaker of the house. This is like, this is a kamikaze run. If they don't have somebody that's going to be able to like, I guess they're trying to get Kevin to just step aside and McCarthy won't do it. Everybody putting their own ambitions and own, uh, you know, political capital on the line here for their own interests. And I don't know how it's going to shake out. Nobody does, right? We haven't gone to a second ballot in like 100 years for a vote for Speaker of the House. I don't think that the never, uh, never Trumpers, the never Kevins, I don't think that they go along with somebody that the Democrats put up, right? The problem is you end up with some of the moderate Republicans going along with all of the Democrats. If they find somebody, I mean, here's the other thing. Do they go with somebody like, Elise Stefanik, or do they go, because, like, she is, she's, like, by far the most liberal member of the Republican leadership. Is that who they go th- throw their lots in with? I don't, I don't know. 
It's all the palace intrigue and all of that. It's just, it's amazing to me to see how close the Republicans are coming to, uh, to snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Because here's the thing, Gates claims that, you know, he, he's not going to be interested in any kind of, you know, show hearings like the Benghazi hearings were. He wants to, you know, really have oversight. Yeah, but what kind of oversight do you get if you don't have a Republican speaker? <laughs> when you have the majority, you get nothing. And maybe they're maybe they're holding their their pick, you know, uh, in secret. They're like they're playing their cards close to the vest, in which case that's really surprising. It hasn't leaked out yet. But maybe they've got somebody. Maybe they have somebody that's going to be like, I can do it. I'll be the speaker and I will get enough support. But I don't know how you get enough support when like, I don't know what, like 80 percent of the Republicans are on board with McCarthy. Do they just all flip? Aside from McCarthy stepping aside, I don't see how this resolves itself at all. But see, it's nice when you get out of the prediction business, you don't have to worry about making predictions like this. All right. Um, So today's word of the day, or I guess I should say term of the day, load shed, load shed. That's what happened to you. If you lost power over Christmas, you were load shedded, load shed upon, if you will. Yes. Uh, watch I was watching this morning uh, a lot of the North Carolina Utilities Commission meeting. Now, this one was actually important. Not that they're all unimportant. Um, but this was Duke Energy going before the Utilities Commission to explain what the hell happened with the rolling blackouts? So my big takeaways from watching the explanations uh, that were offered up by various executives of the uh, the monopoly uh, energy company was, number one, they were running uh, off of a model. And the model was incorrect. The model was a, a prediction on how much energy would be needed, right? They use the model to predict how much energy they need for the total load. Okay, so the model is supposed to be off plus or minus 3%, and they account for that. But the model was off around Christmas. It was off by 10%, 10%, because it was a Saturday, so it was looking back at a previous Saturdays, but it was also Christmas, so it didn't have any historical knowledge of what kind of load would be necessary there, add in the wind, which elevates wind chill, and then add in the freezing temperatures, and all of this was beyond the scope of the uh, of what the model was pulling from the historical data, and so we got it wrong. Now, don't ask me what this means for climate change models. I'm sure it's completely different, okay? All right. So that's the first thing. Number, number two, it confirms to me that there's not enough generation occurring. That's what I, I, I got out of this, uh, this presentation today because they're, they're buying energy. They're buying it to, to pad because they're, uh, they're not creating enough. And the other thing was that uh, I don't think solar is to blame for this. I do tend to agree with the solar people on this. The solar power didn't come on because the peak was before sunrise. And so people are pointing to that and saying, aha, see, solar stinks. And I agree, it stinks in the dark. That is absolute. I mean, well, it doesn't stink. It just doesn't do anything. 
There's no odor that comes from it. But it, it didn't come on. It didn't produce any energy. That's a problem if the peak demand is happening at nighttime or before the sun rises. But the key here is storage. They got to figure out how to store more energy. But again, that's my big takeaways. Number one, you know, your regression models were wrong. Of course, now they're like, oh, but it'll totally learn now. Okay, could totally learn now. And maybe that's great for the next time we have like a really windy, stormy, brutally cold Christmas Eve on a Saturday. Okay, great. Um, But I also worry about other events that might be beyond the model's uh, predictive abilities. Number two, again, that... We do not generate enough power. That's what it seems like to me. And number three, uh, that solar doesn't work at, at night. Okay. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Governor Cooper wants answers from Duke Energy on the rolling blackouts that affected like half a million North Carolinians that went without power for uh, various lengths of time over the Christmas Holiday. Uh, meanwhile, out west in the Asheville area, no water, no water for tens of thousands of people for, I think, like a week now. Uh, Mark Starling is the morning guy out at WWNC Radio. Hey, Mark. Happy New Year. Hey, happy New Year, Pete. How are you? I am doing all right. I, I got power. I got water. I have a job. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> You're batting a thousand. That's it. I, yeah, I'm off to a good start <laughs> in 2023. So, um, what, uh, so what is the deal? You guys lost water uh, out in Asheville. For, uh, is it still going on right now in that area? So uh, we have people out in where the area in West Asheville described as Candler Knob uh, and Alexander Mountain that are still without water. This would be day number nine for them. Um, this all started back on like the 24th, basically, is when they started to notice, you know, obviously with the colder temperatures, there was more stress on the water system. And, uh, you know, every, everything that kind of compounded to cause this were all problems that were known about. Mm. Right? All, these, all these were all infrastructure problems that when the General Assembly tried to assume control of the water system because they knew that, well, let's face it, local government was going to use it as a slush fund, which I don't know that we can necessarily prove that right now, but it certainly does raise a few questions as to where did all the money go. Well, it's only uh, not a slush fund now because it all froze over. Well, that's exactly it. It's more of an ice fund now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so essentially what happened was you had an overload of the system, and then people's, you know, the pipes were freezing, uh, water mains were freezing, and the system crashed, and you had 39,000 people who were without water from basically late on the 25th of up until, well, they're still, some of them are still without water right now. Right. So I remember this issue. You mentioned the legislature. And for folks who are in the Charlotte area and don't know much about this, it was a very localized issue, but it had potential statewide ramifications because it dealt with uh, interbasin transfers. And, and Mecklenburg County actually has one of these where water goes up and over a ridge line essentially, and now you're in a different watershed, a different water basin, and right. moving water between basins um, is problematic sometimes, not just engineering wise, but also you've got these problems where, wait a minute, why are you taking water out of like this river basin and putting it into that other river basin? Because everybody downstream of the basin you just took from, they, they're going to have something to say about that water getting taken out of their system. But up in the mountains, you got to do that kind of stuff all the time because. 
they're mountains. And you got to push the water up a mountain, which is difficult. You got to use the pumps and lifts and all of that. And then when it comes back down the mountain, it gets really, really pressurized and it breaks a lot of pipes. And uh, that, so th- those are all challenges in building uh, in Western North Carolina. Now you layer into this that Asheville has for like, I don't know what, a century. They've been trying to, to screw over everybody around them. Uh, ever since the state came in and saved their water or saved them from their bankruptcy and, and took all the water system and put it all together for all these little bankrupt water systems, and they consolidated it all together, and Asheville's been trying to charge differential rates to people outside of Asheville for their for that water. Um, well, and, I, and I talked to the state treasurer today. I had him on the morning show this morning, and uh, his office is going to be opening up an investigation, it looks like, Ooh. into this because... He was telling me, he said, you know, Mark, um, we have never said no to a loan to the city of Asheville for anything when it comes to infrastructure. We have always granted that loan, and we've always granted those funds. We've, we've, never, we've never turned it down. Mm-hmm. Well, and the city says, well, we, we, we promise to do better. So there's a, there's a press conference today with the, uh, the mayor, uh, Esther Mannheimer and city manager, Deborah Campbell, uh, who used to be, uh, in Charlotte. Yep. I, I believe she was your planning director or, or Correct. urban and urban and living director or something like that. Yeah. The planning director. Um, yep. So she, uh, yeah, they're going to have a press conference today, but you know, there was businesses that were closed for six and seven days and they were, they were losing multiple thousands of dollars a day in revenue and they're not on the hook for it. But as, as the state treasurer put it to me this morning, did you know that if you cause an accident on a toll road, you're responsible for the, re- for the loss of revenue on that toll road? You can be sued for that? Oh, I did not. <laughs> oh <my> so, <laughs> so then what about, the, what about these restaurants, right? What about, what about the nursing care facilities or, or the elderly people who couldn't get their water? These people's lives were put in danger, and they're just kind of being hung out to dry. Now, uh, they, has, they, they actually closed school yesterday. Has Roy Cooper weighed in on any of this? I know he was very quick on the Duke Energy power outages. Any word from the governor on this? Um, so he was apparently meeting with city leaders. Uh, this, I think, was back on the 29th or 28th. I believe he met with city leaders. Um, I would think that this would fall under a state of emergency when you've got a better portion of a you know, 100,000 person population that doesn't have water. Uh, but well, there, was never an, there was never an emergency declaration. There was never anything like that. Well, we know he's very hesitant to enact those types of powers. Well, I know he, I mean, he, really, <laughs> he really doesn't like to exercise yeah. those gubernatorial special powers. We, I mean, we know this because of, you know, how tame his response was to the COVID. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah. so, right. And so for people who aren't aware also, um, Asheville does have, have a bit of a history of creating a water fund. <laughs> Uh, for and then using the fund to pay for projects that might not totally be completely water related. Uh, the famous one being Azalea Road that leads up to the soccer fields that all of the uh, the the crunchy granola moms like to take their kids to play soccer at. And they redid this whole road, made it all nice for them, and they they used the water funds, which is funded by people outside of the city. And the city right. was used, and they control it. And the state tried to Tim Moffat, state representative, he tried to uh, to put it in the hands of a uh, of a regional 
Metropolitan Sewer and Water District. Now, the, the sewer district already exists, so he just wanted to make it one right. unit. And, uh, oh, and Asheville pitched a fit. They sued, and they ended up winning, and uh, they still maintain control. Well, uh, the best part is that Azalea Road area, Pete, has a wonderful homeless camp on it now. Nice. So, you know, yes, it's really really adds to the area something uh, something nice well yeah so that's uh, it's good so you can go and you can get your soccer in you can get your meth right. done and your yeah your, right. your heroin it's it's all in one stop it's perfect right. it, it, re- it really has turned into a one-stop shop kind of deal here yeah there you go mark starling morning guy up in Asheville on wwnc radio appreciate it buddy and uh, happy new year to you you got it, man. Take All care. Right. Happy New Year. Yes, yeah, here are you too. So, uh, yeah, or as my, it's at Azalea Road, or as my uh, my GPS app always calls it, Azalea. Azalea Road. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, in case you hadn't been there, the Light the Nights Festival. It continues. you still got three more days through January 6th. You got ice skating, uh, you got snow tubing, uh, you got the light show, live entertainment, holiday treats, Christmas trees, shopping, and tons more. It's all brought in part uh, brought to you in part by Piedmont Natural Gas. Share the warmth, and uh, as you stroll through the ballpark, you can feel the magic of the holidays. It's still going on through January sixth. It's when the wise men get there, and the wise people go to light the night's festival at Truist Field, Uptown Charlotte. All right. The uh, nominations are now open on the uh, floor of the U.S. House for uh, Speaker of the House. Elise Stefanik from New York rose to nominate Kevin McCarthy and uh, got a a long round of uh, standing ovation for it. And uh, that reminded me of something. I've been meaning to bring this up. We need a congressional clap clock. We really do. All right, look. They clap entirely too long for themselves and for the president whenever the president shows up to do the State of the Union. A clap clock, I think, is necessary. It's been instituted in the NFL to make the, you know, the snaps occur within, you know, a certain amount of time. It's like, what, 24 seconds or something. You got the shot clock in basketball. They even put a pitch clock now in baseball. And in Congress, we get... It just goes on and on. Like, come on. As our leader, House Republicans have only gained seats and won. While Republicans in the Senate and state legislatures lost seats, House Republicans are the only ones who have consistently won. Because Kevin knows what we stand for. He knows when we should engage in the fight. And he knows how to build consensus. Importantly, Kevin has done the work of listening to all Americans traveling to nearly every district in this country, fighting Mm. for conservative values and fighting for the people that that are committed to upholding them. Kevin has shown up in these communities of every member in our conference, and I can guarantee he has shown up in the districts of our many of our colleagues across the aisle as well. His relentless effort has yielded an extraordinary new House Republican majority that represents our country's greatness from all walks of life. When the last Congress gaveled in two years ago, every new Republican welcome to our conference was a woman, veteran, or minority. Today's House Republican Conference is the most diverse Republican conference in our nation's history. A seasoned legislator, 
an experienced leader, a friend to so many of us, a proud conservative with a tireless work ethic. Right. Kevin McCarthy has earned right. this speakership of the People's House. Madam Clerk, as the chair of the okay. Republican Conference, it is my high honor to present our conference's nominee for election okay. to the office of the Speaker of the People's House, the Honorable Kevin McCarthy from the state of California. And I yield back. Okay, thank you. Fine. Okay, here we go. Clap clock. Put him on it. It's too long. It's too long. Please don't speak. Please don't speak. They're all standing. Well, not all. Anybody else? The clerk now recognizes the gentleman from California, Mr. Aguilar. Madam Clerk, I rise today at the direction of the House Democratic Caucus to place into nomination for election to the position of Speaker of the House of Representatives, the pride of Brooklyn, Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Oh, now I gotta listen to a speech about Hakeem Jeffries? All right, that's not happening. This is not happening. All right, so. All right, I'll keep monitoring this. Let me just cut that off. All right, we'll, ah, we'll keep monitoring it. They're still clapping. We need a, cla- a clap clock. Just like 10 seconds. 15 seconds? 15. Like, I'm not an animal. 15 seconds. I think that's enough. Right? Now, yeah, he's going to now, Aguilar is going to give this whole big speech. All right. Um, let me just re- go back and re- uh, recap the, uh, the energy issues and the water issue in Asheville. Because they are related, and they're related to actually the... The vote that's occurring right now. Well, not the vote, the the clapping and the talking. Um, It is a lost focus on basic services. The basic function of a government. The thing that we all get together and say, hey, why don't we band together and do this very core elemental thing so this way we all benefit and it frees us up to be more productive. And the, the, the primary one is always security, right? That's the first thing you got. Look, I know I'm a Gen X, I'm a gamer, and this is going to go over some people's heads who aren't gamers. Um, but hear me out on this. There is a parallel. I've talked about it before. In every single video game, what they call city builders or colony simulations, or there are all these types of games out there where you build cities. They're either historical in nature, even the ones where you like um, – they're like the battlefield ones. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, I see the advertise uh, Age of Empires, the classic one. It's been around for like 30 years. And even these war thing, uh, the, the war games, these battle simulation games, they, they all rely on fundamental principles of building a civilization. And they all draw from the historical record. And they say you got to have certain things in place before a society can grow, can become powerful, people's lives are improved. And it's security. That's the first thing that you do is security. Then you start providing what? Basic services, fire protection, water, sewer, right? These are the fundamental things. Power. You have these services that could not withstand three days of really cold temperatures. And I'm old enough to remember... When it got really cold in Charlotte before, it was only about 15 years ago. I remember because it busted our water pipe. They put the water pipe on the exterior of the house, didn't insulate it well enough, and the water kept uh, blowing up against the water pipe, and it it broke. It ruptured it. So we had to, we called three-way plumbing. They came out, and they, they fixed it for us. 
And then I learned some uh, some tricks. You know, I always got to like insulate it. If you can get like some bales of hay, uh, you can put them up in front of the water spigot so it, it blocks the wind from hitting that. So these things happened to some of the the power stations that Duke Energy was talking about today. That they had they had equipment that kind of uh, that that malfunctioned because of the severe cold. There was also uh, a problem with the um, when they when they switched the stuff back on, they called it like a cold load or something like that. But the reboot, it takes more energy to turn something back on than to just constantly maintain that, that constant level. And anybody, anybody who's ever, you know, flipped on the computer, the PC and the light flickers up above, because it's on the same circuit in your house. That's exactly what is causing that, right? Same thing. It takes six to eight times the amount of energy to reboot, the line than it otherwise would use. So as you're trying to restart all of the services, you're putting extra load on the system. Okay. So that's, that's all part of this. But at the core, as I said earlier, the core is in my opinion, not an expert, just listening in and reading the the experts as they discuss this stuff. It seems to me like we're not generating enough power. That's what it seems like to me. And uh, I look at the uh, I look at the chart that Duke Energy put out. Thank you, my friend Ray Cooper, uh, for sending it again. Um, you've got the they they break it down into as to all of the uh, power output, right? The production versus the consumption, and they got it broken down by all the types of uh, of generation. You got nuclear, gas, coal, solar, uh, hydro. Um, and then there's some hamsters on wheels down there, but they don't make anything really. So you got nuclear is at the top. It's over 10,000 right megawatt hours, and it's constant. No break in the line. It is by far the biggest generator of energy for us. Second is gas. Third is coal. But coal is more constant than gas. Gas goes up and gas goes down. And then way at the bottom of the chart, you got, well, water is basically nothing. But then you got solar, and you can see it's like when the weather gets uh, cloudy, no no solar generation. It has a role. I have solar panels. It solar has a role. The role though is not to support an entire society of you know two million plus people, let alone the what eight million in North Carolina that are on Duke Power, maybe more. So those are the takeaways. For me, and they all fall under this umbrella of lost focus on basic services. You go off and you do all of these other things, trying to do all of these other things, and what are we counting on you for? Give me juice. Give me water. That's your mission. Focus on that. Oh, but we could do other things. But you're not doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing well. When you do that right, then maybe you can take on a little something else. interesting jennifer says her grandma's name was azalea but it was pronounced as a lee or azalee azalee but it was spelled like azalea interesting also interesting i have let's see one two three four five six seven eight i have eight emails that all came in at eleven forty, and they're all from twitter 
saying that my tweet has been approved as a promoted tweet. I haven't asked for a tweet of mine to be promoted, I think, in like two years. I'm afraid to, is this the same tweet they just, oh, oh, my account has been accepted to participate in the Twitter ads program. Oh, thank you, Elon Musk. Like this literally just came in right before the show started. That's, there's like eight emails here from Twitter. Like somehow or another, they just got around to seeing all this. What is it? 76. Oh, these are different tweets. Interesting. That's, you know, just a little bit of housekeeping. That's all. Let me see here. How old do you think this tweet actually is? Oh, my gosh. You, you want to know when this is? This was a promoted tweet, I guess. I don't. Anyway. President and vice president showed up to presser wearing same outfit. How embarrassing. Isn't there a cabinet position to prevent this sort of thing? That's what I wrote. On January 1st, 2013. But I just got approved by Twitter to promote it. Go me. So 10 years. That's what it takes. That's the timeline, apparently, for approval of a promoted tweet from some guy, you know, in 2013. I was working in Asheville at the time. I was the, uh, that's probably why. Oh, my gosh. I just realized this was, this was my attempt to promote a tweet for like, I, I spent like 25 bucks and I was like, let's see what happens. And I paid for it to be promoted. So 10 years later, bam, promoted tweet approved. Look at that. All righty. So the voting is now happening in, uh, in the House of Representatives. Jeffries. 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 Right now, McCarthy Bergman. 14, Jeffries 8, McCarthy. Andy Biggs 0. Fire. All right, and no, uh, no other votes for anybody else. So right now, McCarthy is winning 15 to 9. They're literally going to run through every single one of the 365 members of Congress up there. So I'm not going to watch it. Now, I don't know who actually nominated Biggs. I'm going to guess it was... I'm going to guess it was Gates. Gates? Um... Let's see here. I don't know. It says, uh, straightforward from here, congratulations to Speaker Bobcat. I don't know who that is, but <laughs> comedian maybe. Um, Santo says, uh, a GOP lawmaker just said that Sa- uh, Congressman Santo says that McCarthy will be the Speaker, so it must be true. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that guy, Santos? The guy out of New York that apparently lies about everything. Someone who, like, that. Do, for folks who have never been around just a serial compulsive liar who lies about everything, big, small, medium things, doesn't matter. Just the most mundane thing. Like, hey, because uh, I lived with a guy who was a congenital liar uh, in, in college and he was one of the one of the roommates in the house, and he would just, you know, like, hey, did you see my lighter? And he would be like, no. And then it would be sitting right next to him. Like, dude, did you, and, and standing up on its edge, you know, like, did you put that there? Oh, no, no, I don't know how that got there. Like, you're the only one that's been here for, like, all, all day. Like, he would just lie about things, everything. So, um, 
This guy Santos strikes me as one of those types of people up there in New York who just lies about everything. And then, wow, total fail by the opposition research team. Whoever that was, don't ever hire them. They didn't find any of his multiple obvious lies about everything. But here's the thing. I don't care. I don't care. Because Democrats don't have any moral superiority on the embellishment of one's personal history. Corn pop. No? Yeah. How many times did Joe Biden make up stories about his his own history? The guy just lies about it all the time. It actually got him kicked out of the um, uh, presidential race back in like the, what was it, 92 or 88 or something, right? He, he couldn't stop lying. That's all he ever does. He just lies about all sorts of stories from his past. I think, you know, he was sitting right next to Rosa Parks at one point. Just making up stories about people. So, no, that's the standard. You guys, it doesn't matter anymore. Santos, he can lie about his whole personal history, and it doesn't matter. That's your standard.